Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Diana Boll, who is the executive director of the Sheldale Family Gateway. We just had Thanksgiving, but we're now entering a whole season of giving, which includes the November 30th commemoration of Giving Tuesday. If you can call it a commemoration, of course. The annual day to rally support for charities and nonprofits heading into the holiday season is still about a month and a half away, but for the next several weeks on this podcast, we will highlight some of the organizations who work locally to give back and how you, as the generous person I presume you are, might be able to help out if you are so willing. Starting the countdown to Giving Tuesday is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. This week, we go to the Onward Willow neighborhood, which is one of the most diverse areas in Guelph thanks to the large number of new Canadians that settle in the area. Well over one quarter of the people in this area are from a visible minority, nearly one-fifth of the population are children, and the area's population density is about 15% higher than the Guelph average. At the same time, about 20% of the households fall below the low-income measure, and it is often subject to higher levels of unemployment than other areas of the city. For those reasons, Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health has previously identified this area as a priority neighborhood. But Onward Willow has a built-in advantage. The Sheldale Family Gateway, which celebrates 30 years of community service this year. Established in 1991, Sheldale has had a couple of different names over the years, but the mission has always been the same. To welcome and support children, youth, and their families living in the Sheldale Family Gateway community by providing services, programs, and leadership opportunities. It's a community hub using an integrated services model, which is a fancy way of saying it's a one-stop shop for services that a growing and vital community needs, including early-on childcare programs, summer camps, a breakfast club, and a community garden. Sheldale is also an active partner in many community groups and initiatives across the city, including the Guelph Neighborhood Support Coalition, Action Read, the Upper Grand District School Board, and the Guelph Young Parent Program. The term essential comes to mind, which is why the Sheldale Family Gateway is going to start our countdown to giving on this week's podcast. Diana Bull joins us on this week's Guelph Politicast to be your gateway to the Sheldale Family Gateway. Bull will talk about the Sheldale She Knows, how its programs help this incredibly diverse neighborhood, and how she ended up as the executive director of the center. We will also talk about the ongoing issues to secure more funding, whether they're getting enough support from the governments, and what kinds of things that neighborhood groups can do that other nonprofits can't. And finally, we will talk about the effect of the pandemic on Sheldale programs, how they're bouncing back with more regular programming this fall, and what life in Onward Willow would look like if the Sheldale Family Gateway wasn't around to help out. So I caught up with Diana Bull last week via Zoom. So, Diana Bull, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad to be here. First, uh, can you describe the the Sheldale Family Gateway? Just you know, what when when people say to you, "Hey, what is that?" and where do you work? You know, how do you sure. how do you describe Sheldale to to the novice? <laughs> sure. So, Sheldale Family Gateway is actually we're a community hub, and we offer services in um, primary prevention and early intervention for children and families from birth right up to like 18, 20, that kind of thing. We have, um, we um, offer what's called the early on program and that's funded through the county and that's for ages zero to six. And then we also have our child and youth and community program, which 
uh, is funded fully through fundraising. And that's for kids six through 18 to 20. And mm-hmm. we offer lots of different programs and we have uh, lots of people come in. And it's, it's quite the collection of, of different you know, funding sources, uh, yes. a, a lot of, if, if people go to the Sheldale website and sort of look at, we, we wish to thank our sponsors. There are so many that you have to separate them by category. Yes. <laughs> so, um, how much of your time is sort of arranging that funding and, and how much of it is a lot? Yeah. Can you, yeah. Uh, a lot is, yeah. So, um, a lot of my time is spent writing grants, Um, And we're very fortunate in Guelph that the United Way and the Guelph Community Foundation, as well as some other foundations and um, organizations like that are are really great. Um, But you have to always, you know, it's not a question of getting it and always getting it again. You always have to to apply and reapply. We have some terrific corporate sponsors, uh, Rona, Skyline, to name just two, and they've been great. Rona sponsors our breakfast club, which is really important. We also get a bit of funding from um, Food and Friends from the Children's Foundation, which is terrific. And then we do straight up fundraising, which is, you know, sending out letters or having a campaign or just generally asking the community to pitch in. I wanted to highlight that. I wanted to highlight that right off the bat because I, I feel like when you, sort of are able to peer inside the nonprofit or and a lot of nonprofits, it, it's this kind of um I, I guess this kind of quilt of of like patchwork of various like funding sources and, and people Absolutely. don't appreciate that so much of your time is just writing the grants, reading the, the requirements because some grants are also very kind of uh very specific in terms of what the grant can cover as well. That's right. No, that you're absolutely right, Adam. Um, you have to spend a lot of time um, figuring out where your program fits. Sometimes it fits into a grant. Sometimes it really doesn't. Um, you have to figure out, you know, we have different programs. So some of them fit into certain grants and some of them fit into other grants. And then, you know, you have to make sure that your budget is balanced and you can pay people at the end of the day and keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you. How did you end up at the Sheldale Family Gateway? Well, I've been in um, the not-for-profit business for almost 20 years now. And um, before I came in uh, to, to Guelph, I lived in Cambridge and I was the executive director of Victim Services of Waterloo Region. I worked for a woman's shelter down in Brantford and this opportunity came up and I, I really liked the way that Sheldale Family Gateway was described. It was a very happy place. It's a very joyous place. And it really suited my needs at the time. And we came to an understanding and it's been wonderful. It's interesting to hear you say suited your needs because, I mean, you, given your background, you came from some very sad settings. Yes, I did. Actually, you got that right on. And coming from a place like victim services to, you know, as I said, a much more joyous place like Sheldon Family Gateway was um, was terrific for me. Mm -hmm. How about the describe the neighborhood a bit, because I, I feel like the onward willow area gets a bad rap. Uh, I, I, I see that on Reddit all the time. People like 
post on the Guelph Reddit and go, I'm thinking about moving to Guelph. Where, where's a good area to move to? And you almost always get some smart assets as don't move to the Willow area, which I mean, I've lived yeah. in the Willow area for, for years and yeah. never had an issue. But from your point of view, being embedded so tightly in the community, mm-hmm. how, how do you describe the Onward Willow area? You know what? It's, it's, it's a tight community. There are people who are, um, we have a lot of new Canadians, a lot of refugees. Um, we do have a high unemployment rate down here. But the people down here have big hearts and they need um, they need somewhere that they can go, which is Sheldale Family Gateway. Uh, the community itself, you know, people try here. People work very hard and they struggle to get by. Um, and we all do our best to sort of accommodate their needs. But I think the community as a whole has a really good heart. And we have just a great time with the kids and with the families. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of help do do like new Canadians need, need perhaps a, a bit more than I hate to say regular Canadians. Sure. <laughs> that's not the, no, that's not the intent I'm thinking of, but like, no. like people who are new to Canada, new to the area. Yeah, what, You know what? They need to get acclimatized and sort yeah. of find out what systems are there for themselves, their families, their children. They need to get registered for school. They need to get a doctor. They need to find out, you know, where the social services are in terms of helping them. Um, and we sometimes we coordinate with our other partners down here we we're also with the uh, Guelph Community Health Center Compass Counseling and Family and Children Services so all of us work together and we really help the families along we have um, some folks on our staff who speak Eritrean and that's um, that's been really handy for us because there Mm -hmm. are a lot of newcomers from Eritrea so that's been great and we just try to get them placed in sort of the different systems where they need to go whether it's education or health or social services. Mm-hmm. How I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, but I mean, I, I don't expect you to be an, uh, an expert on all neighborhoods in Guelph, but it, yeah. given what you sort of, I know you probably liaise with other neighborhood groups and through the Guelph Neighborhood Support Coalition yes. too. Yeah, exactly. But uh, would you say Onward Willow uh, is kind of maybe the most multicultural in Guelph or am I sort of mistaken no, I would say so I yeah. it's it's a real um it's a magnet a lot of people come here because of the social housing because it's available um people you know when they're coming here to a new start they don't have a lot and they need to go somewhere where there's social housing available where there are supports available in the community where they don't have to hop on a bus and mm. go somewhere um and onward willow offers that I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of another area, I think, of misjudgment. It, you know, we talk a lot about, in the broader sense, whether this is you know, like at the provincial, federal level, or even like the local level, building complete communities. Onward Willow is a very complete community. It there, is. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely are. Yeah, we have all sorts of supportive services down here. Um, I mean, you know, we could we could use more. We could use more help in the food security area, but we have the seed kitchen working out of um, the Sheldale Center now, which is terrific for our families. Um, that's very helpful. And we've run a program where we've made um, free food available. We called it the community table uh, that we ran during the worst part of the lockdown where people could come by socially distance and we would have some dry goods and 
sometimes we would have fresh fruit available, but we don't have the resources to buy that. So if we got donations, we'd offer it mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So I, I think Onward Willow is, is sort of its own little place. <laughs> I want to pivot a bit to the pandemic because food insecurity is, you know, part of that, um, the panacea of issues that have, you know, kind of come up in the pandemic. But from, from your perch, um, how has the pandemic affected? I mean, first of all, the services, like the, the ability of the, the services you can offer, but also right. how, has it, how has it affected the neighborhood? Is social isolation is the biggest problem for sure. When we were in heavy lockdown, I mean, people weren't able to go out. You couldn't go hang out with your friends. I mean, since we deal mostly or we serve mostly kids and their families. So what we did during the pandemic was we actually... Um, we had our staff visit virtually. Mm. So they would be constantly calling kids, texting kids, and it was directly with the kids, right? Because the families know us and, um, you know, they trust us. We make sure we get permission from the parents and everything like that. But then we do little things like we had discovery bags and in the discovery bags, we put things like snacks and books and schoolwork stuff. We could get our hands on it and we'd, um, you know, safely deliver those things to lots of kids in the neighborhood. But social isolation was a huge thing because one of the things um, the center is, is it's a real hub for activity. So people couldn't go anywhere. People couldn't do anything. There's not a lot of backyard space in Mm -hmm. Onward Willow. Mm -hmm. So um, the center is sort of the backyard of the community and nobody could come out. So the, the whole isolation piece was, I think, the worst the early on center is reopened now i'm I'm correct about that yeah Yeah. so getting kids back getting them kind of socialized but also still observing like the health protocols um how how difficult has that been well we've you know what we've had really great instruction from the county um they've been very careful about how we reopen so the way we do it right now is we have one family come in at a time and then they stay for an hour or so, and then we clean up, and then the next family can come in, and then we clean up. So we get between four and five families per day, and then we're allowed to do outside activities now, which is great. And I think we can have up to five families as long as they're socially distanced. Um, so we have, we take, you know, our play mats and our, uh, our gross motor skills, toys and things like that outside, and then people can get together, and it's nice for the moms and dads because they have other people to chat with and they can socialize. And then it's great for the kids because our staff are there to help them learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's been mentioned a lot in various quarters about sort of the mental health effects on the kids. Uh, mm-hmm. are, are, are your, you and your staff seeing that too? Have the kids sort of been like really profoundly affected by everything that's happened in the last 18 months? Well, you know what, I think they have, but I don't think we see it too much because when they come here, it's just, it's, they literally come here for fun. Mm. I mean, perhaps in the early on, they might've seen that a bit more because that is sort of a parent-child developmental area, but in our six and up, the kids literally come here for fun. So we don't see too much of that they come they have a really good time and it's not for an extended period of time like if they're in school or something they're here for a couple of hours they do their craft they do their activity they have a snack 
and they go on their way. So we haven't seen too much of it, but it certainly has been an issue, I'm sure. It is kind of sounds like a, a release valve that if, if, if the kids are having trouble, that it, it is still a little taste of normalcy. I mean, also to the to the kids who are perhaps older and perhaps remember very vividly what life was like 18 months ago. I'm sure there yeah. are younger kids who think this is normal. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you're right. In terms of how the pandemic like. A lot of this has to do with like public health and yeah. what, what they decide going forward. But I mean, how much sort of autonomy do you have to sort of, you know, kind of work with inside the guidelines? Like, you know, there, there's kind of like very firm things, right? Like you have to be masked inside. You mm-hmm. have to be physically distant inside. I guess how much wiggle room do you have to sort of walk that fine line between what the public health guidelines want and what you know that the, the kids sort of need from, from their experiences at the center. Right. right. Well, you know what we are, we are totally dedicated to following, like we follow those public health guidelines, like the Bible. Um, <laughs> no, we really do. So everybody's masked, we've got hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, and so we've got the kids distance. And I mean, you know, there were some little complaints. We ran a summer camp. It was very successful. Um, And the kids didn't like having to play with their masks on. And we get Mm. that, but you have to keep them on. And that's the way it goes. And you have to wash your hands constantly. And you have to sanitize constantly. Um, And we had to do snack and sort of in rotation so that the kids could be far enough apart um, when they were taking their masks off to, to have their snack. But we do really stay um, really clearly within the guidelines of public health. We don't actually, I'm not sure if we have a lot of leeway, but we don't mm. take a lot of leeway. That's for sure. Right. It, it, it do the kids, I, I, re- I remember when they brought in the mask mandate and there was a lot of, all well, kids are always going to be picking at their masks. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like how, the, how kids handle masking. Uh, when they're you in that group setting they're they do okay they're not like <laughs> I said sometimes they're not happy about it and you know things slip down and when they're running around outside especially in the summer when it was very warm we'd have to you know be constantly reminding them and everything like that but generally because the kids were all younger it was what they were used to right you know they were just happy to be outside running around with their friends truly um, so they were, they were all pretty good about it. We were quite fortunate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like wearing the mask either and I'm a grown exactly. man. So it's, yeah. <laughs> how are you at sort of planning for the future? Like we know that, you know, from a couple of minutes ago, talking about writing the grants and things, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's been a lot of like extra funding made available to cope with the pandemic. Um, you know, looking back at the beginning of the year, we thought we would be able to walk around maskless again. Now that's not been the case. So, I mean, what yeah. kind of freedom do you have in sort of long-term planning right now? Or are you kind of like rolling with the punches because no one's sure about the future? Well, you know what? We've just um, just done registration for our fall program. So that's pretty exciting. That starts next week. And, that, and that's our normal fall programming. Although... Um, for our team program, we are requesting that the teens be double vaccinated, um, whether or not they're in the leadership program or they're in the um, sports program, either or. So I'm not sure really how that's going to work out. Um, 
and we've got our, our younger kids are all in programs. So everything is set for this year, but you're right about rolling with the punches. Right now, we don't know how it's going to look next year. We're planning as if it was a regular year. I'm mm. applying for grants like it's a regular year. We're doing our fundraising like it's a regular year, but we just have no idea how it will turn out. Mm-hmm. Has there been any indication from especially the government funders about whether they've kind of realized the importance of, of groups like yours, so like in, in terms of like the ecosystem of support for the community, you know, places like the Shelldale gateway can interact with the community in a way that even the city government can't, mm-hmm. but there is kind of, I think generally a feeling that we're still kind of a little bit behind in terms of making sure groups like yours have the support they need, but has the pandemic changed that at all? Or are you fighting the same battles? Well, yes and no, actually, because as you mentioned, we did get, um, there were emergency funds made available, which was terrific because we lost a ton of fundraising money when the pandemic first hit. So that was, um, that was really nerve wracking, but the city came through with, and the United Way both came through with, Um, additional emergency funding which came from the feds which was terrific and the federal government recently put out um, a request for proposals for uh, social inclusion so we applied to that but of course I don't know yet if if we have it or not so it would be great if we got it but you never know Um, but I think that governments as a whole need to sort of take on more of the social responsibility than they do. Mm. Uh, We get money from the city of Guelph, which is terrific. Um, But the province doesn't fund any of our work for kids over six. The province funds, the province and the county fund the early on program. But after the child turns six and comes into a regular programming, that's all up to us. Mm -hmm. So I think we could use some more support, some more solid support in that way. Well, let's make it explicitly clear. I mean, as a neighborhood group, like what specifically can you do that sort of like broader government programs cannot like for people who are particularly, let's say particularly persnickety about their tax dollars. (laughs) What, what does, what does, having services run through a neighborhood group do then perhaps doing something a little more overarching citywide and and focusing things like on on a neighborhood level. Right. Well, I think when you focus on a neighborhood level, you tend to catch those people who would otherwise fall through the cracks. I mean, you always hear in social services, so-and-so fell through the cracks or this program meant, you know, the cutoff meant somebody else fell through the cracks. And when you're on such a micro level, like we are, We know when people are struggling. Families tell us when they're struggling. The kids will tell us. Moms and dads will come in and tell us. And we're able to point them in the right direction to get to those macro things. But in the meantime, you know, you're keeping people out of homeless shelters, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You're keeping food on the table, hopefully. And you're giving the kids an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. They just sort of be stuck somewhere and not socializing and not um, learning self-regulating behaviors, not learning, you know, we have some programs that we would um, like to do with uh, reading agencies, you know, things like that. So 
it's it's a whole cornucopia of things that we do on that micro level, I think, that tends to get lost when, you know, all the big dollars are getting counted at the big table. You opened the door to this and I and I, I did have this question written down. But if money was no object, mm. what would what kind of new programs would would you like to see run out of Shelldale? Well, you know, one program I'd really like to see, and we and we used to have it and then lost funding, um, is it's sort of a transitional program from when those kids are in early on to when they start school. And so we used to have somebody who could sort of walk the families, and again, new families, new Canadians, refugees, walk the families through that process, and we lost funding for that role. So now we kind of have to, I, we still do it, but it's in a much more, um, it's in a much more, I don't want to say brushed, right. but we can't pay. We can't literally walk the family to the school, which we used to be able to do. I mean, Willow Road School is, is right across the street. So, you know, you'd make those soft handoffs, you know, you go introduce the mom or the dad to the principal, to the teacher, um, introduce the kids to the school. So that would be a great program to have. Um, there's, you know, some, leadership programs that it would be great to have if we could if we had the money to pay for teens to take um you know st john's life-saving courses that would be great um those are you know there it's such a great resource but we don't our families don't have the opportunity to access things like that as a rule hmm. what do you think um, life in yeah. your your area would look like without Sheldale? Oh, I think it would be kind of sad. I think that the kids would be really limited. I think that there would be um, not a lot of opportunities for the kids to get to know one another. I mean, in the, um, you know, in, in the townhouse complex and in the apartment complexes, it's, there's just no backyards, right? There's just nowhere to play. And, and we give kids the opportunity to play and to socialize and like I said, to learn cognitive skills and to become, you know, to sort of help them overcome some of the difficulties that through no fault of their own have been placed in their way. Mm-hmm. And the city's got half of Norm Jerry Park dug up right now, too. Yes, they do. Yeah, <laughs> that was a surprise. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the practicals then. Um, what kind of help are, are you looking for right now and maybe in terms of uh, donations, funding, volunteers, how can people help you out? Well, thank you. Um, our volunteers are actually, you know what, we're doing well with that, but people are always welcome to go to our website and take a look. Um, sometimes we have the volunteer opportunities listed on there and people can just give us a call and we'll go from there. In terms of funding, uh, again, on our website, you just go straight to Canva Helps. There's a big fat red button that says donate now. And people can go to Canda Helps and you'll get your uh, receipt right away from Canda Helps. Uh, we're always looking for funds. Um, we have some great uh, relationships with other organizations like the Neighborhood Coalition and Sunrise Therapeutic Horseback Riding. They, they've hosted our teen leaders a couple of times, which has been really fun for those kids. Um, and I'd say we're just, you know, and it sounds, it sounds so mercenary, but we're always after the funding, Mm. you know, we're always, (laughs) we're just, we're just always looking for the funding to make sure that we can 
because we pay our staff a living wage, which is very important to us on a moral, from a moral perspective, that, you know, we can't, we can't very well serve a community that's often a bit downtrodden and a bit uh, taken advantage of if we do that to our own staff. So we make sure we pay a living wage. So that means that our expenses are a bit higher. Um, so that's my job is just is finding that money. <laughs> it does sound a bit mercenary, but I understand. Does, the yeah. <laughs> uh, what's coming up at the Sheldale Center that you uh, people should be aware of, you know, what kind of events or programs or anything going on. As I said, our, our programming for the fall starts next week. Registration was yesterday, but folks can always give us a call, check out the website, give us a call. Um, I'm not sure if there's a waiting list yet or not. Oftentimes we do have a waiting list. So do call first before coming in. Uh, We hope to have uh, our, annual general meeting we were going to have it in person and then because the vaccine passports came in and everything just sort of got blown to heck in a handcart we're having them on uh we're having our agm on october the 26th virtually and people can register online again at our website and other than that we'll be launching our um giving tuesday we'll be launching that in november October, November. Okay, perfect. Well, Diane Bull, I know you are a very busy woman, so I appreciate everything, all, all the time you could give me today to help uh, shine a light on Sheldale. So uh, we'll let you get back to it. And uh, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having us, Adam. We're really pleased to be here. And once again, that was Diana Bull. You can learn more about the Sheldale Family Gateway, its various services and programs, and how you can help out with your time or your resources by visiting their website at sheldale.ca. In the meantime, our Countdown to Giving miniseries on this podcast will continue next week with a conversation with Barb McPhee from the North End Harvest Market. And that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly do that, and you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time.